I've been thinking about, I told my wife today a couple things. I, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to, actually on Thursday night for our prayer time, um, we have our Thursday night prayer once a month, I told the people what I felt like God was putting in my spirit for Sunday. And to be honest with you, I'm working it out because it's in, in its raw form. And I typically like things to be more polished. But I'm going to preach by the Spirit of God today. I'm going to preach by the unction of the Spirit of God. And I have some things I'm going to share with you. But um, I told my wife, said the, 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 I said, there, there will be um, a confirmation that if God wants me really to preach this, if it's in time, this is a timely message from the Spirit of God, I said they will sing that song, whatever that last song was, A Thousand Generations, what's it called? The Blessing? Okay. I said they'll sing that song. And today, we haven't sang in a while, they sang that song. So, okay, Lord, well, you obviously confirmed it. So, um, because this has to do with our, not just us, but for the generations to come. Amen? And there was a man by the name um, of David who would become king. And David was, in fact, um, um, a man after God's heart, the Bible says. And, and so he encountered um, uh, a relationship with King Saul. And I'll get to that in just a little bit. Um, and, and Saul did not know about David being anointed privately by Samuel. King Saul was already in position. But God, because of his disobedience, was looking for another king, found him in the backside of a desert, keeping sheep for his father, being faithful. And, um, and anointed him as king. And so David now gets in, is in the house of Saul. He's a, he's, is a, he's a musician, and he's playing harp for uh, the man of uh, the king, and, and he becomes friends with the king's son by the name of Jonathan. And Jonathan and David had an incredible relationship where they would literally die for one another. And it was unfortunate because Saul, who was... Jonathan's father um, had a lot of sordid feelings, let's put it that way, about David. One minute he loved him, the next minute he hated him and wanted to kill him and even at one point banished him. And so David had to run for his life because one day they came back from war and David was a mighty man of war as well. And the people in the, in the, in the, in the streets began to cry out and sing a song. And the song went like this. The song says that Saul has killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. And, of course, that did not sit well with the king. He became jealous of the anointing that was upon David's life and what David could produce even in front of the people. And so he was banished. And the story goes on and talks many, uh, long, this is, there's so much about the life of David that I love. I relate to him the most of all the other Bible characters that are in the word. And, um, and, and so he had opportunity, David, to take the life of Saul and to end it once and for all. After all, he was the rightful king now. But he said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. When God wants to do it, he'll do it in his timing. That's important to the message today. And he'll do it in his, in his purpose, in his moment, in the time. And so, um, and so he, he didn't touch Saul. In the process, Jonathan and David still remained close friends. And Jonathan had children one of the children he had was by the name of Mephibosheth. And people don't know about him that much, but, and he's not mentioned that much, but the Bible says that when he was young, uh, one, of the, one of the maidens were running with him, and he, she fell, and, and when she fell, uh, it crippled the child. And he was able, no, 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 no more able to walk upon his legs. And so um, he would know nothing but being a handicapped child the rest of his life. And so... Um, and it speaks to us today, doesn't it? It speaks to us today 
that a lot of times that God calls or makes something important that has lost its walk or seems like it's been crippled, and yet God wants to restore that person to full health again. And this is, in fact, what happened with David. When he became king and Saul died and Jonathan also was killed in battle, David became the king first of Judah, then ultimately over all of Israel. Well, when Mephibosheth heard that David took his place on the throne, he was asked to be carried to a cave so he could be spared because he was afraid that the new king, King David, would in fact have him killed because Mephibosheth was the actual rightful heir to the throne. He would have been the next in line because of the bloodline of Saul and the bloodline of Jonathan. But he did not understand that David actually had a heart for Mephibosheth and said, is there anyone else that's alive in the family of Jonathan? They said, we believe there is one, and he's hiding in the cave. He said, bring that one to me. Well, when Mephibosheth heard this, he was afraid, of course. He didn't know what the king would do. But when he was brought into the king's chambers, the Bible says that David reached out to him and had mercy upon him and said, Mephibosheth, I want you to know something. I loved your father. He was my covenant brother and my covenant friend. No one was closer to me than him. And because of my covenant with him, I want you to know the same promise I made to him, I make to you. You will eat at my table all the days of your life. You will never be afraid of me because I will treat you like my own child, my own son. You'll have full reign in the kingdom and you'll be able to have a place in my palace all the days of your life. Signifying something very important that there was going to be for Mephibosheth a restoration and then a reversal of what would be of normal order that in fact that he should have been killed he should have been taken out, but instead he was found with mercy and, and grace and, and was able to actually eat at the king's table. And that it would be a new season for Mephibosheth. So he would be restored to his place at the table. There would be reversal from death to life. And then he would enjoy a new season. And I believe that is what God is saying in this hour. That's what God is doing in this hour. I believe that is that time. How did that all happen? Because the Bible says that the king, King David, remembered his covenant with Jonathan. Title of my message this morning, The King Remembers. Father, I give you praise and glory for all that you're doing already in this house, what you're doing in this church, the direction, Lord God, the vision that you set before us, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, as the church is trying to find its rhythm in the future, Lord God. Many of your people, Lord God, are confused as to who they are and what they're to do. Many people, Lord God, do we go to church? Do we stay at home? Do we listen to the news? Do we ignore it in faith? All of those things, Lord, you're working all of those things out for your good, I believe, with all my heart, Father God. And in the name of Jesus, Lord God, I believe this message will reach and touch people and give them encouragement, especially during the holiday season. In Jesus' precious name, anoint now, Lord, the word as I speak and declare it. Everybody said amen and amen. Hallelujah. I have uh, felt, and I kind of expressed this to my elders and then to um, those that were here on Thursday, I have felt for some time now a weariness in God's people, a weariness of soul, and not just in God's people in general, but especially Yes, them, but especially the the warriors, the true warriors that that are the ones on the front line that are fighting for. I call them the twenty percenters, 
because it's about 20% of the people that actually give in the ministry, about 20% of the people that actually work in the ministry. The rest just enjoy the benefit. I'm being honest. I mean, I believe that most of you are going to come along, but I'm saying that's just how it works. And so, and that's not this, this, this church, it's churches across America and around the world. And, and so I'm just, I just begin to see that there's a weariness. And a lot of times the weariness comes from a place that um, the promise that God has given you or you've read about in Scripture or you've gotten received in your prayer time or even a, a man of God or a woman of God has given you a prophetic word seemingly has not come to pass. It's been time. And time, if you allow it, can become an enemy to you. Time can beat you up. And make you doubt the things of God. The thing that you said yes to in, in, in the presence of the Lord. The things that you were saying praise God to in your private moments earlier on. Uh, seem to wane over time. The Bible says seed, time, harvest. So there's always the process that the seed has to go through in order to bring the harvest. And the time part is the part that stretches our faith. And the time part is the part that can bring weariness to our soul. And weariness is never of the Spirit of God, although it is a part of the process, and I'm going to show you that in just a moment. And so I remember that there, is a, there was a time, and I've shared the story before, but I, I think it, it bears repeating, because um, I, I can't give anybody else experience but my own, um, that, that there was a weariness in my soul for a season. And, and that it felt like everything was opposite of what I was been taught, everything was opposite of what the word said I can have, and everything was opposite of what God had promised me. Has anybody ever had a season like that in their life? Like you know God can come through, but there's that there's the, those seasons, those long stretch periods of time. Sometimes, once in a while, we can call them the wilderness experience if we'd like, where there seems to be no water, no food. You just kind of there, and. Um, and it's a difficult place to be because we live in a natural world where we like to make sure that our five physical senses, you know, have been, have been uh, touched and, and, and we, we feel secure because we can see it and we can hear it and we can taste it and so on. So um, I was going through that season in my life, um, like many of you might be in right now, and, and so I was crying out to God. And, and, you know, most of the time my prayer was pretty good, but there was, I was having a bad moment with God. And I was really upset. We had some upsetting news that happened the night before. And that morning I got, up, got my coffee, went in my car and started to drive, take my little prayer drive. And I ended up in some parking lot because I really just felt the Spirit of God. I wanted to pray. And I, I began to pray. And as I'm, you know, I know God loves me and I can feel his love. But at the same time, I was in a complaining mood. How many has ever been like that in your life? The rest of y'all are saints. Praise God. Good for you. I should learn from you. You should come up here and teach me. Um, but the truth of the matter is, I was having that bad kind of a moment, and so I began to be upset with God. And it hit me that I would not treat my kids the way that I feel like he's treating me. Now, how many knows God was not treating me that way? But that's the way I felt, because I had nobody else to blame. I said, I've rebuked the devil. You told me his word that he has to submit. And if that's true, then why is it what I'm asking you for coming to pass? And why am I still dealing with my enemies? And why is this still happening? And, oh, and, it, just, and it went down the litany of things that were, that were happening in my life. And, and then I got this place, and, and I got upset, and I pounded the, I remember hitting the, the, the steering wheel and the dash of my car. I hit it, and I said, I, said, um, I said to the Lord, I said, I'm your son. I'm your son. 
I said it twice, and I screamed it out loud. I wouldn't treat my children this way. Why would you treat me this way? You're God. You're perfect. How is it? I'm your son. I'm your son. And so, you know, then, of course, you know, then you feel the love of the Lord, and he didn't say anything to me, but you could feel how much he cares about you. Now you're crying, and, oh, geez, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. And he's wrapping his arms around you, feeling pretty good, right? And then I'm apologizing. I'm asking God to forgive me for my little attitude and my little antics and check my dashboard. It wasn't cracked. Praise God. <laughs> the airbag didn't go off. Hallelujah. I hit it pretty hard. And... um and so I was fine. Well, a few hours later, I get, I get home, and there's an email in my inbox from one of our members of our church that don't, doesn't really respond that often to me. Or, and certainly has never given me a prophetic word. And said, Pastor, I was praying for you this morning. And the Lord came on me so strong, and I felt that there was a struggle or a frustration or something. And she said, and the Lord spoke to me and told you to give you these words. And she put all in caps and all exclamation points. He's my son. He's my son. You tell him. And what I promised, and then she began, I don't remember this word. The rest of the word was whatever the Lord promised, it will come to pass. And I say that and I tell that story because it's so dramatic. And, and I didn't, shouldn't have had to have an email for, that to, for me to know that. Because he already tells me that in his word. But it's one of those things that I, I look back and say, Lord, it just reminds me so much of what there's, so, when I felt weary, I didn't need to. All I need is draw on your strength. Even though I don't see it happening right now, even though I can't see it happening, I will not allow fear. Because uh, one a dear brother uh, came up to me on, on Thursday night, Robbie came up to me and said, you know, Pastor, you know, worry is tied to weary. When you get weary, it's because you are worried. And it, that is so much wisdom. It is the truth. We get full of fear. Like it's never going to happen. It's always, I'm always going to live my life this way. I want us to look at Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. And, and it says this, and let us not, which tells me I can, it's a choice. I can make a decision. And let us not grow weary while doing good. Which tells me that weariness comes when I'm doing good. For in due season, say everybody say due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Or that word, is, those two words, lose heart means faint, to give up, right? So let's look at that. I broke, I broke this down, and then I'm going to put it back together again, okay? And I'm going I'm to tell you what this all means. The word grow, do not grow weary. Grow, it comes with the meaning of st something that starts small and gets bigger, he said, do not allow that small bit of weariness begin to germinate in your life and become a bigger deal. Once you start feeling that way, you can rebuke and say, no, I receive my energy from God today. I receive my love from God today. I, re I receive all things are possible with God. I receive my faith. Okay? So it means it grows. So you can grow weary, grow into it. It doesn't start that way. But it starts with these little seeds of doubt and confusion and so on. And then the word weary uh, is this. It means this. It means to be worn out. To be utterly spiritless. It means you're just listless. You just have no desire to do anything. It means to be negatively influenced with the outcome of a thing or some bit of news. Okay? The word good says do not grow weary while doing good. When you're doing good, means something beautiful. 
as an outward sign of an inward of the inward good. So you're you're doing something with the good you have. It means to be noble, honorable, uh, have noble, honorable character, worthy, honorable, attractively good, good that inspires or motivates others to embrace that what that which is worthy. And then it says this: the word season. For in due season you'll reap. The word season here means, and, and we're going to talk more about this later, an opportune time, a fitting season, a prophetic moment in time. Okay? So God hasn't forgotten. He knows the moment he's going to bless or drop the blessing on you. If we don't what? If we faint not. Right? Lose heart, faint not. That means to loose or to let go. If, in other words, if we don't let go, in other words, it also means to quit. And if we don't quit on what God said he promised us or what he has given to us, right? Here's how it would read if we put it all together. This is the new Jeff Pruitt version uh, of the Bible. Here we go. And it's, right, it's scriptural, though. We will reap what God has promised in a prophetic moment of time if we won't quit by allowing ourselves to be worn out through negative news but instead continue to work, continue the work of what is good and noble and honorable that it may inspire others to do the same. If I do these things, I won't become weary and I will have all that God has promised me. Let me read it one more time. I want you to get this in your spirit. We will reap what God has promised in a prophetic moment of time if we won't quit by allowing ourselves to be worn out through negative news but instead continue the work of what is good, noble, and honorable, that it may inspire others to do the same. If I do these things, I won't become weary, and I will have all that God has promised me. Um, <clears throat> this is how you beat the weariness of the soul. The truth is, there's no worse anguish, because this is tied together now. There's no worse, worse anguish than to feel that God has abandoned you. Because one of the reasons why I felt weary or have felt weary in my life is when I feel like God has abandoned me. What did I do as your son that I'm not getting what I need from you? If you're good and I know that you are and you've been so good before, then what have I done that now I'm walking through this season of contradictions in my life that it seems like everything that you promise is the very opposite of what I'm walking in right now. You promise prosperity? I've never been more poor in my life. You promise health? I've never been more sick in my life. All these different things. What is going on here? And there's nothing more anguishing than to feel the abandonment of God. That's why Jesus, he suffered the anguish for you and I on the cross when he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? It was anguish to the Lord. There's nothing worse than that. And if what he has promised will never come to pass, that will bring the ultimate pain. Again, King David knew this feeling all too well. And we go back now to where God said, I'm done with Saul. I'm now on to another king. I have in my mind that I'm going to anoint over Israel. And he's in the house of Jesse. So prophet Samuel goes with a horn of oil to anoint one of the sons of Jesse's, and, and Jesse was told by the, the prophet, go and grab all your sons and bring them into the house that I may anoint one for the king to become king of Israel. And he looks over all of the boys, every single one of them, and God said, no, 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 no. It, was, it was a no over every one of them. 
And Samuel said, Jesse, are these all your sons? Because God has rejected each and every, not rejected them, but he has not called any of them to be, become the king. He said, yeah, I got another son, uh, but his, you know, he's out there keeping sheep by the name of David. And, um, but, you know, he's just not ready for something like that. And in other words, Jesse did not believe the father had abandoned his own son and didn't even give him opportunity but was so familiar with David that he could not see the calling and the election that was on his life. Aren't you glad that God does not do that to you and me? He doesn't choose us because we're the best looking, most qualified, most educated, the smartest person. He doesn't do that. He didn't even choose you if you're the kindest person. He chose you because he chose you. Amen. And so now then, David understands the 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 feeling of of not being included and and to be abandoned by a father and church just like david just like david remembered mephibosheth i believe with all my heart god remembers his children the king always remembers and the word remember is not as if god forgot but it's speaking to a time in which God decides to move on the promise that he gave to you that was impossible for him to forget. It wasn't like, oh, that's right, I did give him a promise. No, it was, he's remembering. He's, in other words, he's bringing it to pass. And there is a difference. There is chronos time. That, that's the Greek word for chronological time. It's, you know, where we get one, two, three, four, everything's in order. It's where we get ages, people's age. It's where we get dates. It's where we get scheduling, scheduling events and so on. That's chronos time. Chronos time uh, is if I say to Nate, uh, Nate, I, I have some uh, opportunity this uh, Saturday to do such and such. Would you like to do this with me? And he says, yes, pastor, we have a date. So that's a chronos moment in time that we've set. And that's okay, that's chronological. And God can move by chronological time, no doubt about that. But God's best way of moving is not by a systematic approach that we would use in time. Remember, God is eternal. But God doesn't move by time. He moves by events. He moves by events. According to Scripture, he moves by events. And so, and of course, he does have events that he's set within a year, a year's calendar, but it's even more than that. And that time, that time is called kairos. Everybody say kairos. K-A-I-R-O-S. Kairos time. And a Kairos time is different from Kronos. In other words, it's not the time on your watch, but it means this. It's an opportune time, a prophetic moment or season. So God has a Kairos moment or a due season to bring you a harvest if you faint not. If you don't allow yourself to grow in weariness and faint, there's a due season or a process by which God says, in that moment, I will give to you what I promised you. It may look like God has forsaken you or abandoned you, but honey, God's only begun what he's about to do inside of you. And I just feel perfectly say over you, your time may not have come yet, but it's on its way. Your Kairos moment is on its way. Once again, David is such the king, David, is such a prime example of this. Because, you know, he walks in moments with time. You know, David wasn't looking. All the Bible says about David is that he was a man after God's heart. 
And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we're looking for God to always do something for us within a specific time frame. Or I'm just going to give up. I'm not going to serve you anymore. I'm going to quit tithing. I'm not going to go to church anymore. That's how we act. We're, we're babies. All of us do this. We're babies. We want what we want. We think if we scream loud enough, he'll have pity on us and help us out a little bit. That's not how God operates. He always operates by faith. And, and, and so there's a moment in which God says, I'm going to bless. And nothing can stop it except your disobedience. That's all that can stop this thing. The devil can't even stop him. And, and David lived for the king, God of heaven. That's why God trusted him to be the king over Israel. And, and so he... He trusted David with this. And so David knew that there were certain moments because he watched it in his life. I was just keeping sheep two minutes ago, and I got called into a meeting in my dad's house. I didn't know there was going to be a meeting. I got called in, and this man called a prophet, which I was very famous at the time, named Samuel, came in and takes a horn of oil and anoints me and says, you're the king of Israel. In one moment, my life changed. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm hooked up uh, with... Um, uh, with Saul through, through a crazy set of circumstances was another prophetic moment in time. See, Jesse calls his son to, to the, his house and says, I want you to take this, these meals to your brothers who are on the front lines of battle. They were, they're, they were in war with the Philistines. Take this, the cheese and the bread and, and, and that your, 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 uh, uh, your brothers may be refreshed and that may, may give word to them. They may give word to me. So he packs up the lunch, takes it to the front lines. You know the story. He gets there, and all of Israel is in their tents on one side of a valley. Then on the other side of a valley up a hill is the Philistines, and they're all in their tents, except for one man who happened to be uh, of the Nephilims, and he was a giant, one of the last giants on the face of the earth, and he was in the middle of the valley, screaming and cussing out, the Bible says, cussing at the Israelites saying, you bring down a man to battle with me, your very best man, and if I win, you all have to bow. But if he wins, we'll bow. And they all shook in their boots, including Saul. He was so afraid, he wouldn't come out of his tent. And David now is up there, and he's hearing all this. And he is mortified. He is taken back. First of all, why is everybody afraid? Who is this man that he called him the uncircumcised Philistine? And I think that was cussing. He cussed a little bit. This uncircumcised. Who does he think he is? Does he know that he's, he's screaming and cussing at the armies of the living God? Who is he? It's Goliath, man. He's bad to the bone. He picks up a sword. It's 150 pounds. I mean, he is, he is, he is bad. He, he's no war his whole life, and we're all over here going, what are we going to do? Not, there's not one man here that can take him on. He said, I'll do it. What do you mean you're going to do it? He said, I know my God. I know how he operates. See, what you don't know is when nobody knew and I was just with God alone. There was a bear that came after my father's sheep and I said, not today, devil. And I killed him with my bare hands. And then another time, a lion came and I took him by his own beard and I smote him and I broke his jaw. I beat him up. I, I, I killed a lion. And if God could do that for me, I could take this giant down. Come on. And so he entered by faith. He entered by faith, a knowing, an assurance in his heart that if God was with him in those other times, y'all didn't hear this, if God was with him before, God will be with him again. 
I said, if God was with him before, God, if God was with you back in 1975, 85, 95, 2005, you were in that car, you should have died at that party. You should have got arrested. I'm here to tell you, God will be with you now. Amen. Everybody else got shot up, but you, you lived. So he said, if God, he said, if God can do that, God can take care of Goliath. Give me a shot. And they tried to put Saul's armor on him, and they didn't, that armor didn't fit. See, you can't have another man's revelation. In the day of battle, your Kairos moment, you can't have somebody else's plan. Your strategy's got to come from God and, and a familiarity of what God's already revealed to you. And what he was good at was that slingshot. They said, what are you, nuts? You're going to go to sleep, just go, let me see where the brook is. Picked out five smooth stones. Someone said one time, because Goliath had four other brothers. He picked out five stones. Goliath had four other brothers. Just in case I got to kill the rest of them, I won't kill them all. I kind of like that approach. And so he picked him up, put him in his pouch, went out there with no armor on, just a slingshot, virtually a teenage boy, maybe 20, young kid, and he goes and approaches this man of war that's sitting at about eight, nine feet tall and you know, probably weighed over 500, 600 pounds and just this massive behemoth and, and he's not intimidated. And the Bible says that he released this stone but he didn't just release the stone. I'm here to tell you, there was, there was, a, there was a prophetic cry because he said this day, he spoke that this day, I'm going to take you down. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your head off with your own sword. And I am going to feed your body to the fowls of the air. And all of the Philistine armies are going to bow their knee to the armies of the living God. This day, God has put you in my sight and he has put you in my hand. Woo! Prophetically speaking, I believe it's time for us to start taking some giants down. Instead of being intimidated by COVID and, 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 and economy and wars and rumors of wars and uh, sickness and diseases, you get a little ache and pain. Oh, my grandpa had that same problem. Now all of a sudden you got the same problem. That's a lie out of the pit of hell. It may look like a giant, but that sucker's got to come down. David cried out this day. What are you crying out this day? What is your cry this day? Come on, church. Bible says that Hannah wanted a baby, and she cried out. I said she cried out for a baby. And the Bible says that when she cried out for a baby, it didn't happen immediately, but after some time, seed, time, and harvest, the Bible says God remembered Hannah. I said, God, the king remembers the promise. Moses cried out. I said, Moses cried out. Esther cried out. Well, Moses cried out for freedom. Esther cried out for mercy. And the Bible records and says, maybe you have entered the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows if the king will give you what you desire. I wish two people would get on their feet and give God a shout. 
What's your crime? Where's your passion? Come on. Abraham cried out for fulfillment. It took him a hundred, well, it was a hundred years. The Bible says it took a whole bunch more after the promise came to pass that he became a daddy. How about Joseph? Joseph cried out for destiny. Each and every time the Bible said, and God remembered Joseph, and God remembered Moses, and God remembered Abraham, and God remembered Esther, and God remembered Hannah. This God will remember you too. Just look at your neighbor and say, it's time. It's a Kairos moment for you and for me. Now give the Lord a shout about it. Come on. Woo! You may be seated. You may be seated. Shout I want to give you five things and then we're out of here. What time do we normally get out of here? Oh, what time is it? Did you say 1230? I actually believed it. I'm like, well, we got time. (laughs) I want to give you five things quickly that God remembers. Number one, God remembers his children when they are down and hurting. Isn't that wonderful? Look at the scripture, Psalms 136.23, who remembered us, speaking of God, God who remembered us in our lowly state when we were down, for his mercy endures forever. Exodus 2.24, so God heard their groaning when they were hurting, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Number two, God remembers and knows our frailty. He remembers and knows our frailty. Psalm 103, verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And he walked among us. That's the whole point of Jesus. He walked as a man. He gets it. He understands what we're going through. Number three, God remembers us when we are abandoned by our own family. I've heard the sad stories in this church. And and, and you hear them all around the world of being abandoned by a mother or a father. Look what Isaiah 49, 15 says, or even by siblings. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you, says the Lord. Number four, God remembers our good works and the love we've shown toward his name. Look at me for a second. I, as a pastor, may forget the good that you've done in this church. I wish I wouldn't, but I'm just a human being. I will, and and you will forget mine. But do you know the Bible says here that God won't? Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unjust to forget your work. He's not unjust. He remembers everything you did. You're being, you don't get it. You're about to be blessed in something you didn't do yesterday that you did 10 years ago. It's going to be a Kairos moment. It's going to boom. It's all going to come together for you. And he won't forget the labor of love which you've shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. 
Proverbs 19, 17, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. He will pay back what he has given. God remembers. This weekend, we're going to have pity on the poor. Not that not everybody's going to be poor, but, and I don't, pity is in, in, in the best sense possible, but we are going to, and God, when we do this this weekend, God's going to remember this. He'll pay it back to us. Number five, God remembers his covenant to a thousand generations. And that was the song that was in my spirit. Psalms 105.8, he remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations. Psalms 103 verse 17, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to, to children's children. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have, God's going to remember what he promised me, that he set my children up and setting my children's children up. My grandkids are going to be blessed. They may not even know it, maybe unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to them, what their grandfather did, but it's because of somewhere in my obedience to God, my children's children are going to be blessed as a result of mine, and up to a thousand generations. Wouldn't it be wonderful to say in your line of people, hey, you might be struggling right now because, you know, not everybody's saved in your family, but after you, here, from here on after, a thousand generations, people are being saved as a result of the Lord should tarry because of your walk with God? Wow. That's worth every bit of price I've got to pay now. Church, the king remembers. This God forgets nothing. Somebody say amen. Did you enjoy that this morning? Hallelujah. That's what I want to do. I want to, before we call for souls, I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. If this is you, and you've been feeling weary, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If that's you, I need to pray for you. And all I want you to do is just raise your hand right where you're sitting. Just raise your hand. They're going up all over this place. Yes. Yes. I'm talking about soldiers. I'm talking about people that, that normally just be trudging along. But you're feeling the heaviness and that weariness. Yes. You put your hands down. Over half the church, 60% of the church raised their hands. There are people online watching right now. They didn't raise their hands, but they're saying, you're talking to me, preacher. I need to pray this and make this announcement over you today. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. I pronounce the blessing over your people that we will not grow weary while doing good as a decision. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you begin to stir a boldness inside each and every one of these people today that you undo the heavy burden supernaturally. This thing, this cloud, this weight that seems to be besetting them, uh, causing them to feel like they can't finish the race that's been set before them, whether it be their health, their finances, their marriage, or just emotional emotions that they're going through. In the name of Jesus Christ, I release that now. I release that by the Spirit of God today. Come on for the people of God and stir in them a right spirit, O oh God. Stir them up with the counsels of heaven. Stir them up with the wisdom of God. Stir them up, Lord God, with courage and boldness, I pray, all of us, like we've never had before, to run the race with endurance, to finish this race, Lord God, that we may reap in due season, I pray, in the name of Jesus. I just pray for the, the encouragement of God, the, 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 the life of God, the enthusiasm and theo of God right now and every single one of your soldiers, your warriors, your children, 
in Jesus' precious name, in this house and those watching me online, they were not the same again. I give you praise for it and glory for it. Jesus' mighty name. Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Somebody by the name of Pete or Peter, and you were contemplating taking your life. You will not take your life. You even feel it right now. You feel the worth. You feel the shame coming off of you. You feel the purpose of God stirring inside of you. You feel like, I'm supposed to live for something. Holy Spirit, I pray now, reveal to Pete in the name of Jesus who they are and what they're to become. And we command death to come off of him now in Jesus' name. And if that's you, you've been dealing with suicide. Claim that for yourself. Jesus' precious name. You are worthy, King. Thank you for your precious promises. Thank you for taking the weariness of our soul out of our lives and replacing it with such faith and boldness and courage and encouragement. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap this morning. Just as a signal of thanking him.